Hebrews chapter number 5. Hebrews chapter 5. I decided since there was only a few days between the Wednesday night service and uh, today, knowing that I was going to do today, I wanted to pick up on the same subject that I did on Wednesday night, because uh, I had a lot more uh, thoughts and, and some things that I think will be helpful to us, so I wanted to just pick up on that. So we're going to come back to the subject of discernment, and um, I, I, years ago, uh, when I was struggling in ministry to try to keep up with a Sunday school service, and then a morning service, and then an evening service, and a Wednesday night, and I had all these studies going... I finally realized that that, that is really just uh, not necessary. <laughs> Sometimes you can just teach the same book or the same topic service after service, right? And uh, there's, I don't know, we just get into a routine. So uh, I know that seems a little unusual, but that's what I'm going to do today. Hebrews chapter number 5, before we read the scriptures, uh, maybe some of you weren't here on Wednesday, so I want to do a very quick recap of what we covered. We started in Genesis chapter number 27 and looked at... Uh, Isaac, as he was dying, and he'd asked for Esau to go and make him some of the savory meat that he loved, and uh, his wife, Rebecca, overheard that, and uh, she liked and loved Jacob instead of Esau, so out Esau goes to go hunting, and uh, she quick makes up a meal that is of the same type of taste as what Esau would make, and he gives it, she gives it to Jacob, and she takes the skin from the goats and puts it on him and sends him in and says, go, just pretend to be Esau. And so Jacob goes in, and he, uh, he deceives his father and gets the birthright from him. He gets the blessing of the birthright from him. And uh, we, we learn through that that Isaac, without being able to see, uh, he, he had to rely on the sense of hearing and then the sense of touch and the sense of smell and the sense of taste. And through that, it says, he discerned him not. And so we were looking at that subject of discernment. And uh, by definition, I gave you just a couple of dictionary definitions there to separate, to distinguish, or to discriminate. And the idea behind discernment is that we're able to take two things and make a comparison of them and, and know where they're different, you know, where the thing, two things don't line up. Be able to discern them, that is to make the, dis, the distinction between them. Now, the Oxford's English Dictionary also talks about some, uh, by way of perception. Uh, you know, today, if we're not careful, we don't use the same dictionary, but we're using the same words, then we end up in a pickle because we're not talking about the same thing. And so, I, I don't mean perception in the sense of, uh, well, you perceive things one way, I perceive another. In, in, in this regard, we're talking about perceiving as in we're observing facts and drawing conclusions from it, okay? And so the Oxford's Dictionary looks at the, the, the idea of perceiving, and perceiving is synonymous with then uh, discernment, okay? So we, we looked at those things and talked about how the natural man can hinder your discernment. Uh, if we rely only on senses natural but not senses spiritual, then we get ourselves into a jam again because uh, we're just trying to rationalize and think along a fallen nature's um, rationale, I guess. I didn't say that very well, but we're, we're looking for fallen nature to give us the direction or the decision or the understanding of something, and we can't do that and expect to have things right, to have them spiritually discerned. And so we, again, just kind of look through that. 
And I, I made a statement <clears throat> uh, in regard to age, and I want to even clarify what I said, that sometimes in age we can lose our discernment. I wanted to illustrate that, but then also clarify it. You think about a lot of scams that take place today, whether it's over the phone or door-to-door people, and they prey on, on that. They prey on women, and they prey on older people because they recognize that the, sometimes the perception or the discernment of people can be hindered as they get older. Uh, but I wanted to also bring clarity that sometimes discernment in age is sharpened, and it's sharpened because of experience. Uh, one of the illustrations that I think of in the Word of God is when Rehoboam was being asked by the nation of Israel to lighten the load that had been put on them by Solomon, and he counseled with the two groups of people. He counseled with men his own age, and he counseled with the older men. And obviously, the, the younger men of his age said, basically, you just show them who's boss. You're the king, and that's that. They're just going to have to live with it. And so he made a foolish decision. But the older men said, Rehoboam, if you'll listen to them, if you'll submit yourself to them in this matter, they'll submit themselves to you for the rest of their lives. And the older men there had discernment that the younger men didn't have because they had experience to know that sometimes it's better to relent in some matters that are temporal, that don't matter, in order to gain a greater good for more people for, for the Lord's sake. You understand? And so sometimes I, I think it's, it's good maybe to make that clarity there that while our discernment can wane as we get older, it can also be sharpened in some areas. And those older men had a, a much better understanding and greater wisdom than the younger men because they knew what was taking place at the time. So I, I thought it would be good to clarify that. Amen. All right, so our, our natural man can hinder our discernment. We've got to be very careful. Now, we started in Hebrews 5 uh, this morning, and with Hebrews chapter number 5, and we touched on this last time as well. Again, a few things I want to pick up before we move on. Hebrews uh, chapter 5 and verse number 12. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers... Ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So I want, to, I want to pick up here with this, and forgive me if I'm repeating myself, I don't think I am. When it comes to discernment, discernment is a matter of maturity, and at the same time, maturity can bring discernment. And so they're, they mutually support one another. As we hear the Word of God preached, and we submit ourselves to it, we're growing up in the Word of God, growing up in faith. And so we're maturing in that sense. We're, we're moving from being babes to the Bible talks about young men and then to fathers. We're growing up. So we're submitting ourselves to what we hear in the Word of God, and that's bringing maturity. As a result of that, God is able to give us more. So we, we go from milk to meat to strong meat. And he gives us more. And as he's giving us more that we're submitting to, 
our discernment is broadening and deepening. The number of subjects that we have discernment on, that's the broadness of it. And the depth of those subjects is, is growing as we're submitting ourselves to the Word of God. So you see how they work together and we grow up, we mature. And that's very much what he's referring to here. We had given you, he said, everything you needed to grow up, but you weren't using it. So when there was a time that you should have been a teacher, you're actually now in the place of a student as a babe because you haven't submitted yourself to the truth of the Word of God. Now, if you'll submit yourself now to the truth of the Word of God, you'll also grow up, and one day you'll then also be a teacher of the Word of God, and that will be your use of your discerning the Word of God and discerning matters of life because you're exercising those senses, those spiritual senses that God gave us so that we wouldn't have to trip our way through life hoping for the best. And so he's, he's here telling them, you need to grow up. Now, he's... He's not talking to them in a condescending way, but rather in a reproving way. You need to grow up. You need to become a teacher. And something I tell our church in Australia all the time is that no one should ever stay in the place of always being a student. We all need to get to a place where we become also a teacher, a discipler, an instructor of someone, uh, someone in the church. And, and sometimes it just be your own children. And you might just need to to grow up in the Word of God enough to be able to teach your children some things. You know, you think about the number of hours that you have with your your children as opposed to the number of hours that a pastor or a Sunday school teacher has with them. It's very limited in the church setting. So it's not possible for everything that they need to learn in life and godliness to be taught here. It's just not possible. It has to be taught at home. It has to be reinforced at home. And this is part of that growing up and discerning some things. And so, men, you know, we we learn things in life and then we take our sons and sometimes our daughters aside and we say, here's something God showed me. Don't make this mistake that I made. Or let me show you a choice that I made that God blessed. And and here's why he blessed it, because it was according to the word of God. It was led by the spirit of God. And we teach them, Ezekiel 44, we looked at that last time, we teach them discernment, how to know good and evil, right and wrong, righteousness and unrighteousness. Mothers, you'll do the same thing with your daughters. You'll be able to teach them. It's not just about teaching them uh, home skills and being a good mother, but it's also about teaching them how to discern a young man. How to understand that not every... uh, Can I use some Aussie terminology here? Not every good-looking young bloke that comes along uh, that might be faithful in church because his parents make him go, he may not be the best choice for you. And uh, especially in our society, Western culture is real bad for this, and I'm going to tell you as as an Australian looking into American culture, because I've been there 20 years looking into American culture, the sin of America is fornication. That is the national sin of, of America. And it's bred into us from very, very, very young. And so the problem that we have is that we are very driven by what we see. Very driven by what we see. And it it fosters that spirit of fornication. And so what we have to do as parents and mothers, fathers both, we have to teach our children to discern that. That looks 
don't make the person. And I know we're adults, we understand that now we've grown up. They don't understand that when they're that young. And there's nothing wrong with finding someone you're attracted to. You understand what I'm saying? It's not about going out and finding the most ugly person that you can, saying that must be the godliest one. That's not how it works either. But you understand what I'm saying. We have to help them to understand and to know that this exterior is going away. I apologize to my wife all the time. I do. You can ask her. I, say, I tell her all the time, I'm sorry, I didn't see this coming. <laughs> and I know it's hard to believe, but when I was a younger guy, I wasn't half bad looking. And uh, it's a good thing she got me then, because if she'd have seen me now, well, that's anybody's guess. But I apologize to her, because this is going away. What's on the inside? What's their spirit? How do they respond to authority in their life? How does that young man treat his sisters and his mother? How does that young lady treat her siblings and, and her father and mother? Do they carry out the tasks and duties at home with a joyful spirit or is it grudgingly because they just feel like they're compelled to do it? It's something they have to do in order to get through the season. And that's not somebody you want your children getting yoked up with. Because once, once they're yoked up and once that season of honeymoon goes away, so is all the pleasantries. And so is all the, eventually the marriages too often go because they didn't discern beyond the exterior. And so these are things that we teach them because we know we know, we're sitting here, we know by experience, we've been through it, and we've seen some tragedies, and we've seen some successes, and we're able to say, look, you know, watch that couple. Watch how they treat one another. That's a blessing. That's Christ-like. That's how Christ treats his bride, too. You watch that. Do that. Be careful of this one over here. There's something wrong here. Do you understand? They don't know that. And they don't know to discern that. And it's our job to teach them to discern it. And so we've got to grow up. And then again in church, we've got to be able to teach people. We've got to be able to help Christians to know that just because it says it's Christian, and labels itself Christian, and it's accepted by the greater Christian realm, that it maybe it's not Christian. Would you agree with that? Having our senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, a lack of discernment in matters of good and evil keep us from maturing in what we can be taught and the durability, excuse me, the ability to teach others. I better say it again because I really muddled it up. A lack of discernment in matters of good and evil keep us from maturing in what we can be taught and our ability to teach truth to others. I'll let you process that a little bit and think about what he said. Now let's read it again. Verse number 13. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use 
have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I want, to, I want God to teach me more truth, broader and deeper, so I've got to have discernment on what I'm being taught right now. What am I doing with it? And I also, and you also, want to be able to teach somebody to help them in their Christian life. And that means you're going to have to also exercise discernment in order for God to use you in that capacity. You and I, that's what we need. Okay? So, discernment is a matter of maturity. Now, I'm going to skip forward a little bit here, and and because this is a study, I kind of just have a little bit of a scattering of thoughts, but I want to go to 1 Kings chapter number 3. 1 Kings chapter number 3. I know this is a familiar passage, and I've heard Brother Hoots teach on this a few times, and I know this is a real valuable passage. But I want to look at this again, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse number 5. As Solomon comes to the throne, it says in Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father mercy, according as he Walk before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father. And I am but a little child, and I know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered for count nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this so great a people? Now we'll read further in just a moment, but I want you to see here now another principle when it comes to discernment is this. Pray for it. Pray for discernment. Ask God to help you to discern some things. In this case, he said, help me to discern, that I may discern between good and bad so that he could be the right kind of judge over God's people. He wanted to be able to make that clear-cut distinguishment to the things that were evil and good that don't always appear evil and good. And again, you know, that's very difficult sometimes to see it right up front because things veil themselves. The Bible tells us that Satan himself appears as an angel of light and his ministers as ministers of righteousness. And not everything comes in in a pitchfork and a red suit and a long tail. And so Solomon, who, by the way, when David was giving a charge to Solomon... He said, you're a wise man. That was before God gave him wisdom. So you already had a young man here who was sharp. And he understood some things. Apparently had learned from his father David. But realized he wasn't equipped for the position that God was giving him there. 
And so he recognized that the best thing that he could pray for would be to have wisdom for some discernment in good and evil. Now again, whether we're talking about pastoring a church, leading a family, our work environment, there are some things that we just need help to be able to see it clearly. And you and I aren't equipped for everything that comes our way. Go to Joshua chapter number 3. We're constantly growing and we're coming into new situations in life that we've never experienced before. So we can't draw off of what we've learned by experience. I just realized I don't have my phone or the time, so I need to grab that, excuse me, so I don't go long. We're not always equipped for the new experiences in life. We need help. And here in Joshua chapter number 3, you understand that Joshua was a seasoned veteran of war. He knew well how to handle himself in, in a combat situation. But as we read here in Joshua 3, verse number 1, Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host, and they commanded the people, saying, When ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure, come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go. For ye have not passed this way heretofore. What did he say? I want the priest to take the ark representing the presence of God and the word of God. And I want that to be out in front of us. And we're going to fall in behind that in this situation that we're, we're going into, because we've never been this way and we don't know how to handle ourselves. Now you've got a seasoned man in war and in combat stepping back and saying, we're going into war and combat, but we haven't been in this type of war or combat before. We need God. And the application in our life is the same. Get promoted in a job, you need discernment. You need to know how to handle yourself in that promotion that you do right by your employer and honor the Lord in that. When we become parents, we've never been that way before. We don't know what we're doing. We need discernment and understanding so that we know, you know which way do we go? How do we order the life of the child as was prayed in the Old Testament? How do you want us to order the life of the child? We enter into a marriage. Not being married before, we'll make all sorts of blunders. I need discernment. I need to learn to understand my wife and she, me, and I need to be still learning. Still learning how to understand our wives. That's supposed to be a joke. I guess my humor sometimes is lost in translation. but I need to know how to understand my wife so that I can minister to her and her needs. And the lady needs to understand her husband and to discern some things. And so we, we work on our marriages that way by discerning the situation, and by growing and maturing, applying the Word of God, being led by the Spirit of God so that we can be an example to children, be an example to other people in church, be an example to a lost world of what a Christ-like marriage should be like. And I know that we miss it. I know we all miss it and we regret things and we look back and we see our mistakes 
But we don't have to just throw caution to the wind. We don't have to give up trying. We can try to discern, to grow in places that we've never been before and say, God, I need you to go before me because I've not been this way before. Help me to discern. And that's what Solomon was praying. I don't know how to be a king. And I don't know how to bring about right judgment in every matter. God, give me that discernment in things that are good and things that are evil. I think about pastoring people. And, you know, sometimes pastor has and will have to make decisions that when you see it from your side, you're going to say, I don't understand that. I don't think that was right. What we don't always recognize is that he was faced with some things and he went to the Lord and the Lord gave him discernment in the matter. And he's not at liberty to share that with you. Some things are just private. No matter whether they're right or wrong, they're private and they're not meant to be broadcast to a a congregation or a group of people. And so he'll make a decision, a choice. Sometimes he'll carry out an action because God gave him discernment in the matter that he didn't give to you. And that doesn't always mean that every decision that a, that a pastor makes, of any, whoever it is, that doesn't mean every decision they make is right. But I'm trying to get you to understand that there are occasions where we look at something and say, I don't understand that, I don't like that, if we can just step back and give that man the benefit of the doubt to recognize that he's had to discern some things. People say things to us all the time as pastors. People say, I'm leaving for this reason. No, you're not. This is the reason. But you don't want to talk about that because it applies to you personally. It means some personal change in your life. This is easier than this. So I'll just go with this. You understand? And that's why we got to pray for our pastors and pray for those under authority of us. And by the way, the book of Hebrews says, whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation. If you don't understand that terminology, essentially it said this, you need to follow after the man that God put in authority over you. God ordained him to be there. And you consider the end of their, how they live their life. Look at the fruit of their life. And when you look at the fruit of their life, that gives you reason to follow their faith at times that you don't always understand. Now that puts a requirement on the pastor to walk by faith and to have evidence and fruit in his life that's worthy to be trusted and followed. You understand? So it's still a two-way street. This isn't about popery or anything like that. This is just about good biblical sense. The pastor's got to live in a way that produces good fruit, and we've got to give God the benefit of the doubt in the matter concerning the man that we can follow after that faith and consider their life. Yeah? Okay. All right. So here, Solomon in 1 Kings, he he prayed for discernment, and uh, we we need to pray for discernment if we want to have good, sound, and righteous judgment in our life. We need to know how to discern between good and bad. Um, can I come back to parenting again? Uh, some, you know, we're not always going to discern things the same in our own families. And that's why, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta take care of your own family. 
and not try to be nosing around in someone else's family because you don't know the dynamics of that family. But, you know, what's good for thee is not always good for me. And I may be able to, I may be able to watch a particular movie or program and it's not going to affect me spiritually, but if you do that, it's going to affect you spiritually. That is not good for thee, and you need to discern that and not say, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so watches it or does it or says it or whatever. That must mean it's okay. That's not how this works. We've got to discern it for us. Now, the other side of that is that if we discern something, we say, that's not good for me, even though it might be for thee, then thee must not judge me because I'm making a decision for my family that I believe is best for our family dynamic and the growth of our children and the well-being of our family structure. And I got to tell you that I've seen that really break down many times. And I, I, not here, I'm just saying I've seen it in life break down many times where families, they're either competitive or they rely on one another to make decisions for one another instead of finding the mind of God on it and growing their own family the way God wants them to. Our discernment isn't always going to be identical. All right, so we need to be able to discern some things that are good, some things that are evil, and we need to pray for it. And this God-given discernment, if you'll also recognize there in verse number 11, is, is of greater value than temporal advantage. As God responds to this, he says in verse 11, Behold, oh boy, where did I go? I'm in Joshua. I need to go back to 1 Kings, sorry. 1 Kings chapter 3. If you're still there, wait for me. 1 Kings 3, verse number 11. Watch how God responds. God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast thou asked life, uh, the life of thine enemies, but has asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. And he goes on to, to tell him what he's going to do for him. He's going to bless him with those things too. But do you understand that praying for discernment is of greater value than having temporary, temporal advantage in life? And God's so pleased with that. In Solomon's case, he said, I'm going to give you what you prayed for. I'm going to give you what you didn't pray for. I'm going to bless you in that way. All right? <clears throat> I love this subject. It's, uh, it's been a blessing to go back and look it over again. And it's so needful. It is so needful in our lives. <clears throat> I thought uh, this morning I was writing a few things down and I thought about this. Solomon, as God answered his prayer, was able then to turn around and discern by wisdom knowledge and understanding was able to discern the matter between the two harlots. And the fame of him went out throughout the world because of these wise decisions made using discernment. Then he discerned Joab. Remember when David died, David said to Solomon, I want you to remember what Joab did. He, he brought unnecessary blood as a reproach on my kingdom when he killed two men better than him, Abner and Amasa. He said, you requite him. And so what did Solomon do? Well, he had him put to death. Why? Because Joab can't be trusted. 
Joab is an opportunist. Sometimes Joab did some things that were very good. He reproved David and he was right. And he went and, and told David to go home when he wasn't capable of fighting anymore and he was right. But Joab couldn't be trusted. He was an opportunist. He was, he was jealous. And he didn't do what was in the best interest of the, of the nation on many occasions. So let me, let me talk again about that matter. I think one of the things that pastors have to deal with more than anything, one of the most difficult things, is self-will. Self-will is a destructive cancer in a congregation. And I don't, I'm not going to put the whole thing just on the pew because also self-will in the pastor can be just as destructive. Right. <clears throat> when I'm teaching our men in our church in Australia, I tell them about self-will. None of us has place to have self-will in the decisions that we're making. Because we're not governing according to what my greater like is or what your like is or what I want to achieve or you want to achieve. What we're trying to do is guide the church in matters that will be the best for the glory of God, the whole congregation. And, and I'm telling you that you have to set aside some personal desires and some personal thinking sometimes or you become self-willed and you'll destroy a church, or you'll set it up so it just suits you. And, and many times, you know, people will go to, preach to a preacher and say, I think we should do this, I think we should do that. And it'll be considered and set aside because it's not best for the whole church, but people get their nose out of joint about that because they think, well, they just, they just want what they want. They don't care what anybody else thinks. That's not it. The problem is we've considered what was offered to us and we thought that's not best for the church body. That's not going to benefit the greatest portion of the church body. So we have to set that aside. We got to discern those things. Are you still with me? Understand what I'm saying? We have to discern. Am I being self-willed? As a, as a preacher and pastor, am I leading in a way that is just self-willed, self-driven, self-motivated, selfish? If I'm going to go to the pastor and complain or, or offer my opinion, am I doing that because I think this is best for the church or because I just want what I want? Or I don't like what I don't like? i got to be able to discern myself in that. And to cut it straight, and Solomon, keep kind of coming off course here, but Solomon was able to discern something. He's discerned about Joab. Joab wasn't good for the kingdom. He discerned Shimei. Interesting, if you, if you had to pick it, if, if you just picked it on your own knowledge, I would have put Shimei to death and put Joab on probation for all that Joab had done for the nation. But it was just the opposite. Joab got put to death because he was untrustworthy in the nation and he was self-willed and all that. Shimei, he said, you remember Shimei, go out thou bloody man, he said, and he cast rocks at David and he said, all the blood of your, of your warfare and of your deception on Saul is coming down on your head as he was being chased out of town by Absalom. You remember Joab said, let me go over there and take off his head and I, I will strike him once, I will not strike him twice. <laughs> I'll, I'll take care of it in one swoop. And David said, leave him, leave him alone. You don't know. God may have sent him to curse me. Now he comes back. 
And Shimeon comes and he's got his hat in his hand and he said, you know, please don't lay that to the charge of your servant. David said to Solomon, listen, you know the evil that Shimei said and did to me. You remember that. So what did Solomon do? Shimei, get your goods, move into Jerusalem, buy a house, don't ever leave town. You leave town, you're a dead man. He discerned the heart of Shimei. Three years it took for Shimei to show his true colors. Remember we talked about patience, waiting things out? Three years it took. But three years later, Shimei's servant takes off. And instead of Shimei saying, well, that's the breaks because I'm not allowed to leave town, he presumed on his own wisdom. Off he goes to get his his, uh, servant, brings him back. Solomon calls him in. He said, I don't think I was unclear on what I said. And he put him to death. He discerned him. But it took time. He discerned the harlots. He discerned Shimei. He discerned Joab. He discerned Adonijah. And I'm going to have to finish here. He discerned Adonijah. You know what Adonijah did? He tried to steal the kingdom. And then he pretended like it was no big deal. He said, oh, well, you know, I didn't realize that David told you to be king. You know, I just figured it was my right by birth and so on. And I just, you know, Solomon, let's, uh, let's just call it square and that'll be that. And Solomon said, okay. But you better mind your own business. What does Adonijah do next? He goes to Bathsheba. He tries, instead of being forward and upfront and honest about what he was trying to achieve, he goes through his mother and says, can you get me Abishag? Can you get me her to wife? And Solomon discerns that. And remember, I mean, when you read that, it's pretty abrupt. Solomon speaks pretty rough to his mother. He says, why don't you just ask the kingdom for him too? And he puts him to death. Adonijah couldn't be trusted. He was, a, he was an Absalom in waiting, is what he was. I'm just saying, he discerned. we got to pray for discernment. I want to finish with this. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever be able to come back to this, and we'll see. But one of the things that we need to discern, it's most important, Hebrews chapter 4. And I, I've said it and said it, but I want to reinforce it with the Word of God. Hebrews chapter number 4. And I'm going to read it. We'll be done. Common verse, well-known, Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. That is to talk about how finely it can cut, how sharp it is in discerning. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. One of the greatest uses of discernment is that we discern ourselves with the Word of God. I must discern myself. What spirit, I think Pastor said that on Wednesday night, what spirit am I of? What is my motive? What am I trying to, why am I doing these things? What is going on in my heart? God, please, Help me to discern me. Because I'll tell you, the guy that gives me the most trouble is looking at me every, every morning in the mirror. <laughs> and the devil doesn't even have to come knocking on my door. I can give myself plenty of trouble. 
plenty of trouble. All right, so maybe um, I think I'm doing another one, another lesson here in a few weeks. We'll see. Maybe we'll go through a few more things, but I wanted to leave you with that if we didn't get to it, all right? Father, thank you for the truth of the Word of God, the application of the Word of God. And I pray that you'd help us to use this matter of discernment in our lives. Bless in the hour to come, we pray for your power to be upon the service in Jesus' name. Amen.